certainly a good day to be here. And of course, as uh, Brother Mike and Brother Johnson mentioned uh, this morning, that we are, that our country is celebrating Father's Day. And of course, we want to again express our gratitude to them as our country celebrates this uh, today to all the fathers and also, you know, a time that we remember those who have gone on before us and uh, their capacity that they had in our lives, our fathers, grandfathers and such. And and of course, ultimately, we always want to remember that every day is Father's Day, our Heavenly Father. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Uh, my lesson this morning is entitled, The Best Man for the Job. But I don't know if you catch the wordplay there, because we're going to be in Job chapter 1. So I'd invite you to turn our, your Bibles to Job chapter 1. The Best Man for the Job. Uh, as, as we look at this lesson uh, in the book of Job, you know, about a month ago, we focused our attention on Mother's Day and we looked at Mary and the godly mother that she was. And then we looked in scripture to see uh, just what she had done. And today we want to do the same thing, but we want to look at it uh, through the perspective of this man, this great patriarch by the name of Job. And, you know, we don't focus as much on Job uh, when it comes to fatherhood. You know, a lot of times we'll uh, focus on other individuals within Scripture, and we'll, we'll touch on some others today as well. But when we speak of Job, usually we're thinking on lessons about his great patience that he had or how he handled suffering. But this morning, we're going to look at some aspects of Job's life and just the type of man he was and the type of individuals you know, again, this, uh, although it's a lesson on Father's Day, it's not pertaining to just fathers. We're going to focus on fathers, but this is what all Christians should have in their lives. So look, let's look at Job, the first eight verses in chapter one. Let's read it and we'll get some uh, introspect into the life of Job as we begin our lesson this morning. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Then the days, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You might have noticed in that reading this morning that there were at least twice in verse, in verse 1 and verse 8 that Job is, as we're told, was a man who was blameless, upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. We're told that he was the greatest man of all of the East. And we saw there in those verses, specifically in verse 4 and 5, that he had a concern for the spiritual well-being of his children, uh, the, their spiritual standing before God. And then as we got to verse 8, one of the greatest compliments God ever gave a man was there in verse 8. 
uh, when uh, God said, have you considered my servant Job? He said that to Satan. Uh, Have you considered this man? And then he says, for there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And God's going to say this to Satan one more time in chapter two, verse three. But it's as if Job was God's trophy and he was showing him off to Satan and saying, this man, this man cannot be uh, tempted. Can you? And, and the question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, can you and I live a life just like Job? Can we even do that today? See, what a great example he is to fathers everywhere and to men everywhere and to, and to husbands and to worshipers of God. And so we want to examine these characteristics of, again, of this man named Job this morning. And so the first thing that we want to uh, point out is that Job had integrity. Job is a man of integrity. He, had both, he was both blameless and upright. And blameless means that he was complete. He was a well-behaved. He was guiltless. He was genuine. And you know, upright means that he was straight. He was smooth. He was right and proper. You know, he didn't deviate from the past, but he was on the straight path. He was blameless and upright. And to have integrity means to be a whole person. That means that what people see on the outside is what really is happening on the inside. Uh, That you measure up to the things that you believe, those moral values. And throughout the book, Job, we're we're told he maintains his integrity, although all the suffering that's brought on by Satan throughout the book, he upholds his integrity. And first, you remember when Satan comes, he asks God to have permission to afflict the life around him. Um, He says, does God, or excuse me, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, Satan wasn't convinced that Job was, in, uh, was a man of integrity. He says, does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, God, you've made this hedge around Job, and he's protected on all sides. He's blessed on every side. He's got all this livestock, the, these ten children. He is blessed. Does he fear you for nothing? And God allows Satan to inflict Job uh, to the things around him. And as we would continue on, if we continued reading in the book of Job, we would see that he lost his livestock, that he lost his servants, and his ten children died uh, because of what was done to that. But we're told in verses 21 and 22 that Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. If you're there, uh, Job arose and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God says when Satan comes again that second time that he still holds fast to his integrity. And Satan says, well, this time, skin for skin, let me afflict his skin. And this time he'll curse you to his face. This time it will be different. And so, again, God allows Satan uh, to uh, orchestrate this under, you know, under somewhat of a power to do this. And Job, he has these boils that smote him from the top of his head all the way to his feet. And Job, is, you know, he gets that piece of pottery and he's scratching all day long. He's miserable. His life is miserable. And even his wife comes up to him and tells him in verse 7 of chapter 2, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But then look what Job's response is to in verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
Well, again, we want to ask that question, you know, can we still live a life like Job? And it's important to note that this word blameless does not mean to be without sin. It doesn't mean to be 100% perfect. Uh, the, the KJV, if you're reading out of that this morning, instead of blameless, it uses the word perfect. Uh, but we understand that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And Job, he never claims to be sinless. So throughout this book, uh, even in chapter 7, verse 20, for instance, in 21, he says, Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me, but I will not be. See, Job doesn't uh, pretend to be sinless. And this word here, blameless, does not mean to be sinless. Uh, throughout Scripture, uh, as noted up here on the board, there are individuals who are, to, or who are noted as being blameless. John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 verse 6, says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. See, and again, it wasn't that they were 100% perfect, that they were sinless, but they were a couple who were a godly couple who honored the Lord by obeying his commandments. They were very devout. They were very faithful individuals into raising John the Baptist in the Bible describes them as blameless. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, elders, uh, qualification of being an elder is to be blameless. Again, not being 100% perfect, sinless, but they are to be above reproach, that, that no charge uh, can be substantiated against them. But if not just Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and elders within uh, the church, Christians also. In Philippians verse 1, verse 10, Paul's writing to the, the Christians there, and he tells them to be sincere and blameless. Again, without offense, uh, without stumbling, that you're living life in such a way that no one can accuse you of any wrongdoing, that they see you living a godly life, uh, that you're going to fall, you're going to make mistakes, but you continue to walk in the light. <clears throat> Integrity, we often... You know, refer to that as, you know, doing uh, the right thing even when no one is looking. Um, in preaching school, we would often take examinations that were unsupervised. And, and the, the instructors will always say something to the effect of, you know, today you're taking an exam, but you're actually taking two exams. You're going to take your exam on this, on this, this study in the Bible, but you're also having an exam on integrity. Because, you, you know, you're not allowed to use your books. You're not allowed to are not allowed to open your notes or your Bible. And so you're taking an exam that, you know, God alone is going to see. He's going to notice that. And uh, do you have enough integrity uh, to take that exam uh, without uh, looking in? And, and, you know, we can think of this as well as individuals who, you know, maybe you've been to the grocery store before and you, you paid with cash and the cashier gave you change back. And when you got home, you, you realized that they may have gave you more than, you know, you were supposed to get. And so because of integrity, you go back to the store and you give them back maybe that 5 or $10 bill that they shouldn't have given to you. Again, that's integrity. You do the right thing even when no one is looking. I was reading uh, this man, by, this author by the name of Henry G. Bosch, and he gave this childhood memory that he had that st stood out in his mind for his life for so long. And he talked about and when he was a young boy, he, as a schoolboy during the summers, he would go and work with his father. And they would go to this grocery store, this convenience store every morning and pick up a newspaper. And so his father picked up the newspaper and they went uh, to the place of business. And when they got there, they noticed that, oops, 
He picked up two newspapers by mistake. And so the father thought, well, tomorrow when we go get the other one, I'll just pay for it then and there. But then it really started to get to him that, well, no, maybe he maybe he saw something. Maybe he knows. So we better go back right this instant. And so they went back. They got in their car, drove to the store and returned the paper. Well, a week later, uh, something happened at the store where the storekeeper lost some money. Some money was, was stolen from there. And so he brought in the police department to come in and they determined that during that time that it could have only have happened, there were only two people in the store and one of them was his father. And the clerk immediately said, well, it wasn't that man. That man came in last week and returned a newspaper. So I know absolutely it wasn't that man. So they focused their attention on the other individual that was in the store. And sure enough, he gave a full confession But the point of the story that was given is that his father's honesty, his father's integrity made a big impression on the storekeeper, the non-Christian store owner, and on him, that he remembered it all these years. So is it possible today for us to be blameless, to be upright, to have integrity? Of course, it is. Job had it. We need to have it. We need to strive for it. Our children are watching. Most importantly, God is watching. We also uh, see here in these scriptures that Job feared God. See, fearing God in this context does not mean to be trembling, to be scared, uh, to be quivering, but to have an awe, uh, an awe that God is who he says he is. The fearing God is the heart of obedient faith. It's a profound sense of respect and reverence, again, an awe. Uh, The Proverbs writer in Proverbs 1 verse 7 speaks of uh, fearing God a lot. And he says uh, here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? To understand God, to begin to understand him in the life, we need to have a a healthy fear of God. And by chapter 16 verse 6, he says that by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When we understand what the Lord uh, requires of us in this life, that we are going to uh, keep away from evil that we're going to understand that, God, you are our master and we are simply the servant and that I respect and honor whatever you say. Uh, Solomon understood this when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. You remember this, that he was trying to find purpose and fulfillment in life and he tried it in every different thing that you could think of imaginable uh, in work and learning and in drinking and eating and all these different types of things in business. But at the end of the book, he said the conclusion is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person, right? Solomon understood that that's the purpose of life for man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And as we understand, as we hearken back on Job, you know, Job lost all 10 of his children that day. You know, in in reality, he's going through 10 uh, different funerals. And how many of us, when tragedy happens, uh, we become bitter in tragedy, that we reject God, that we lose our faith because of, of hardship that visited. And what, but what did Job do with that terrible news? Look at chapter 1, verse 20 again. Uh, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. What a response. What a response we see of this man, Job, that he worshipped in, in this time of tragedy. And there again, there are other examples of, of men throughout Scripture that feared God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we have the account of, of Abraham and Isaac. And you, we remember that, that Isaac was this, this child of the promise, 
The Abraham and Sarah were advanced in age. They were uh, way past the, the age of childbearing. Yet God promised them a child. And through that promise, Isaac was born. In Genesis chapter 22, God is going to test Abraham. God tests Abraham and tells him to take Isaac to the, the land of Moriah. And you're going to offer him as a sacrifice. And he rose early in the morning, the Bible says, to make preparations. And they're walking along the way. They're, they're on their way to this mountain. And Abraham, or excuse me, Isaac, you know, he says to his father, you know, I, I see we have the fire and the wood, but what about the sacrifice? And, God, and Abraham says that God will provide that sacrifice for us. And look at chapter 22, verse, verse 9 and following. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there. And he arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay him. Right, Abraham is about to follow the orders that God had commanded him to, to slay this, his son, his only begotten son, the son of promise. But then in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against this lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Did you catch that? The angel of the Lord said, now I know you fear God. You were doing exactly what I told you to. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little bit more insight into this event that, that, that Abraham understood that he considered God as able to raise people from the dead. He, he, he thought that if he was going to do this, that God would still um, you know, raise Isaac from the dead because Isaac was that child of the promise. But Abraham, he feared God. He feared God. You know, sometimes we go into stores like Hobby Lobby, you know, they have a lot of decor with, uh, you know, scripture writing and uh, little phrases and stuff like that. And sometimes you might see uh, the, the phrase family first. Right? And, you know, people you know, like to decorate their homes with that and remind us that, you know, family is important. But for Abraham, it was following God. It was fearing God was, was first. He's the father of the faithful. Obedient to God came first, even before his beloved child. Again, the child uh, of the promise. And even though that example is, you know, it's a bit extreme, right? God's not calling you and I to um, sacrifice our, our children today or to test us in that way. But you wonder, you wonder about that boy, Isaac, what impact that had for him at such a young age growing up. You know, I wonder, I wonder if Isaac heard those words that the angel of the Lord was saying to Abraham. And what did Isaac think? Right? That his daddy put God first. That his daddy feared God. You know, we can also read in, in um, David uh, giving to Solomon his final charge in 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2, David is on his deathbed. Uh, he, he's about to uh, pass on from this life. And notice, notice these words that David gives him, gives his son Solomon. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, and so that the Lord may carry out his promises 
which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful on their way to walk before me in truth, and all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And you notice that these, are, these final words that David gives to Solomon, his son, notice he's not saying, you know, take care of your mother or take care of your family or take care of the, the business. But he's saying to them, this is what you need to do first. You need to fear God. You need to keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, his testimonies, all these things. You need to keep these first and foremost in your life. And we can ask ourselves this, this question, do we fear God? Do we fear God? But maybe a better question for us to ask is what, again, what Satan uh, asked God. And back in the book of Job, do we fear God for nothing? See, when adversity comes your way, what will your children see? What will those around us see? Are they going to see us running away and fleeing from the work of the Lord, from his church? Or are they going to see us falling down and worshiping? Are they going to see us putting our, our effort into it and to um, knowingly know that the Lord is God? Right? Job was a man of integrity. Job feared God. And finally, we want to see that Job turned away from evil. Again, uh, these are qualifications that, that, that are given three times in this book. And not only three times, but twice. It's from the mouth of God directly uh, that Job did these things. He turned away from evil. He shunned it. He avoided it. And we notice, again, when we're hearkening on Job's fatherhood, we, we notice that he wanted his children to know the difference between good and evil. And so he arose early in the morning, right? That denotes urgency. He arose early in the morning, and as busy as this man was, as wealthy as he would have been, um, he did not neglect his grown children's relationship with God. Right? These children were grown. They were living in their own homes. But still, Job was getting up early in the morning and consecrating them, offering sacrifices for them um, so that maybe if they had sinned God somehow accidentally, that they would be forgiven. Job was concerned about their spiritual welfare greater than any material possession. And sometimes, you know, within Scripture, um, uh, thinking about turning away from evil, uh, the Bible tells us that sometimes we need to stand up to evil. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 is that great chapter where you're to put on the full armor of God so that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. And so we're to put on all of this armor, take up the sword of the Spirit, and stand firm, stand against it. But there are also times in Scripture that we're told that we need to flee we need to flee from sin, get away, and so our spiritual fight-or-flight instincts, they kick in. And both of those take courage. Both of those take study to know what you must do in that time. Uh, it takes prayer. It takes preparation. Uh, but sometimes there are instances when we simply can't just say, hey, let's just talk about this. But we need to, we need to turn away from it. We need to get away from it. You know, who's instilling this information, right? Who, who, who's... Um, Who's giving this information to our children to teach them uh, as parents to turn away from evil? Right? Is it going to be the government? Is it going to be the school systems? Is it going to be the church? Or is it going to be the family? And hopefully the church is doing their part. But ultimately the family, uh, the, the parents of the children need to uh, teach them uh, these things. And if you're still in the book of Genesis, uh, we're going to look in an account in Genesis 39 here quickly uh, of Joseph. Now, of course, uh, you know, Joseph was one of many brothers who was sold into slavery. And as it be, he ends up in Egypt uh, as a slave of Potiphar, 
Potiphar is an official of Pharaoh. He's a captain of his bodyguard. Uh, but the Lord, we see, he blesses Joseph greatly during his time while he's in Egypt. And he, because of that, he was promoted to basically, you know, first in command of Potiphar's household. He was in charge of everything. He oversaw his house. Uh, everything that Potiphar owned, uh, Joseph oversaw. And Joseph, in chapter 39, verse 6, we're told that he, you know, he was a handsome uh, man. He, he was handsome in form and appearance. And so he's got all these things going for him in this life. You know, he's, he's young. He's right around the age of 17, 18. Uh, he's a good-looking kid. He's um, in charge of a lot. And as we know in this account, Potiphar's wife desires Joseph. Right? And time and time again, she desires to have Joseph and Joseph refuses him. In fact, verse 9, he says, How could I do this great evil and sin against God? You are a married woman. And, but she persisted day after day until verse 11 tells us that one day there were no one left in the house. It was just the two of them. And so she grabbed him by his garment and said, Lie with me. But Joseph, he chose to flee. Joseph fled. He turned away from evil. He fled uh, from the, uh, the, the, the house. But of course, as we recall in the story, you know, Joseph ends up being punished for doing good uh, because uh, he ends up suffering because he turned away from evil. But the question, the point I want to get to us this morning is where did Joseph learn these values? Where did he understand uh, that, that this woman um, uh, that was advancing towards him, that, that these things were evil, that these were, would be a sin against God? Well, hopefully, hopefully it was from Jacob and Rachel, his parents, or, or his grandfather um, Isaac, or his great-grandfather Abraham. You know, the, these things, the, this way of life that was, that was taught to them as they were growing up, of course, you know, uh, Joseph lived before the, the Ten Commandments were given, right? The Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? He, he doesn't know that yet uh, because he's not going to be alive when those are given. Uh, but he understands uh, because God had given uh, Abraham these commands, and we know that Abraham obeyed God and kept his charge and commandments and statutes and laws, and God worked through the patriarchs, through, through uh, Joseph and, and Jacob and, and and Isaac and Abraham, that they would have known these things to flee, flee from evil, to turn away from evil. And in the New Testament, we're, we're told something equivalent as well. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, the Bible says that we need to flee immorality. Maybe your translation says flee fornication, flee sexual immorality. You know, when those things are, are abound, uh, get out of there, get away. Uh, that word there in the Greek is the Greek word porneia, which is this umbrella term that encompasses all different sorts. Uh, uh, the sexual relationships outside of marriage, uh, homosexuality, um, uh, adultery, all of these are encompassed in here. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 to the Christians there, flee, right? get away from these things. Uh, these things are, are not for the Christian. Hebrews 13 verse 4 the writer there says, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And again, where, as we think on this lesson, where did Joseph learn these things? You know, from his parents. Where did, like Job and Joseph, you know, we need to teach our children to turn away from evil, to flee uh, from evil, to, to know when we need to stand up and to know when we need to flee and get away. 
Well, as we conclude this lesson this morning, can you and I live a life like Job even today? Victor Hugo, a great poet of time gone past, said that if, you know, if every literary effort was destroyed and left the face of this planet and he only could keep one solitary sample, it would be the book of Job. Uh, that Job has some great lessons for us. And our Lord has challenged us on the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew five forty eight. And again, that is not sinlessness, but it's being a person of godly integrity. Again, doing those things even when no one is looking. And Job is characterized this by being blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. And that is a great and power example, powerful example for us as well to emulate. You know, he made the spiritual preparation of his family a top priority. And parents. As parents, we are blessed uh, with having children. Right? God has blessed us with children, but there's going to be a day, a day that we're going to have to give them back to the Lord, uh, meaning that we're going to have to let them go on their own and live by the, their own faith. And are they getting these same lessons? Are, are they um, growing up to be a man or a woman just like Job, who feared God, who turned away from evil, who lived a life that was blameless and upright? And the question, again, that we want to leave this morning is, are we the best men for the job, best man for the job? This morning, if we can help you in any way, uh, we, we would love the opportunity to do that. If you're here with us and, and you're not a Christian, uh, the, the Bible says that to become a Christian, that we hear the word of God, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, repent of sin, uh, that these things that are contrary to, to God's word, and that we want to confess him as Lord and be baptized for the remission of our sins. And the God, will, at that point, will add you to his church, and then we can go from there and live a Christian life, a faithful Christian life. But uh, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, uh, maybe you're struggling. Uh, maybe you're struggling with something in your life and you need the prayers of this body. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Um, we would love the opportunity to help you, uh, to pray for you, and to help you get your life back on track. Uh, we, we ask that you would come forward now as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.